Hey, everybody. Welcome to Roger and Me, a.k.a. Roger Ebert and Me, for SEO purposes. And so, well, I guess that's what search... I was going to say, so when you search Roger Ebert, we come up. But that's what search engine optimization To, to optimize search engine results. I'm just really <laughs> defining things now in, in an effort to sound different when I introduce the show. Uh, my name is Brett Arnold. I am a film critic in quotes because I'm a film critic by virtue of having this podcast. That is why I get invited to screenings now. That is why I get screeners. My friends are incredulous when they ask, why do you get invited to things now? Like, you don't write reviews for websites. I'm like, I invented my own. And I don't even have to write. I just have to talk once a week to someone who who does put in the work and writes every single review in addition to being here to talk with me about them. My co-host is Mark Dusick of markreviewsmovies.com. And what we do here is Siskel and Ebert. That's what we do here. We do uh, a Friday show where we review every movie out that day on streaming and theatrically. I don't know why I said streaming first. I should have said theatrically because that's the whole bend of the show. We do go to the theater and see all these movies to let you know whether you should or not. Um, That's basically it. It's a movie review podcast. You probably know that if you're one of our you know, our ever-growing listenership. We get more people every week. Uh, I want to say right now, before I forget, please rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Uh, You can just rate us with star rating. I think that's how it works on Spotify. On Apple, you can do a star rating, but you can also write a little blurb. And I think you should. We've got some haters that have pumped our our one-star reviews lately. So we got to counteract that with kindness and the the real five-star reviews because the one stars obviously don't count there's some sort of algorithmic glitch there's no one out there who actually thinks the show is one star worthy i can't possibly imagine i'm getting off track we are here to talk about god i think six movies out uh today friday july 21st uh and this is a day that will forever live in infamy is that true it is barbenheimer day it is the release date of Barbie, a major motion picture from Warner Brothers Pictures and Mattel, the toy company. And we've got Oppenheimer, a new movie from Christopher Nolan, not at Warner Brothers, his home for many years. It is at Universal. And that is a big deal now in this country for some reason, because movies don't come out. Two movies that people want to see haven't come out on the same day in quite a while to the mainstream world. I feel like we have our own little bubble mark on this podcast where we're like two movies coming out in a week. We're both smoking cigarettes when we say this. Two uh, two movies in a week. Try me when there's 14. What's your your most has to be like almost 20. What for one week? I think I think it was 16 one week I 16. I covered. I think. Wow. That is imp- that is impressive. That was a bad week. That was a that that week yeah. Do you remember at all what the like the main no. event was that week? Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't blur. Of course, it was, not. there was probably nothing big. That was probably the thing about it. There was nothing big. It was all these sounds like a January, movies. like a dump, a lot of stuff I... coming out at the same time. That's really funny. Uh, but yeah, there's two major releases this week, and it's such a big deal that it's become. If you don't, if you're not online, uh, it has become the biggest thing in the world. Actually, if you're not online, you probably still know about it because it's getting written about in like the paper you can it's just everywhere the local news is talking about it it's an event we're gonna have a big box office weekend barbie will be number one so we will talk about that first oppenheimer will likely be number two 
there's a chance that Mission Impossible does better, maybe, or Sound of Freedom, the movie that is steadily growing more popular every day, uh, either through organic word of mouth, or maybe it's the QR code on screen where you can buy tickets for other people to use. <laughs> there does seem to be some lax accounting going on with the box office reporting on this movie. There should maybe be an asterisk, but we're not going to talk about that. We're talking about Barbie. We're talking about Oppenheimer. We're talking about a new horror movie starring Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr, produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg? Why is that being dumped unceremoniously on Barbenheimer weekend? We have an answer for you. Uh, we also have They Clone Tyrone on Netflix, The Beanie Bubble on Apple TV, and then Fear the Night, which Mark will have to tell me, one theater in New York, or is it on VOD? <laughs> um, probably both. There's a yeah. few theaters for Fear the Night. There's a few. I don't know how many. I forgot to actually look exactly I, how many. I always regret to mention, like we, we cover a lot of movies that we say are theatrical, but in real in reality, when you check, it's like it played the one theater in New York and then it came out on VOD the next week. So I should specify that when that happens, but I, I always forget to look. But It's uh, somewhere. It's you can somewhere. watch it. It's just, available. Just, yeah, it's available. Fear the Night. It's another Neil LeBute joint, his third since COVID. I think it, it doesn't. I mean, third since COVID doesn't sound that impressive, but it was those other two came. I think it was one week after the other, so it really felt like this man has been just cranking out movies, and then have to have another one already when we've only been doing this show a year. It does feel crazy. There's three Neil LeBute movies in a year. That is the the headline on the, on Fear the Night. Uh, but let's start with Barbie. Greta Gerwig's Barb. Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach's Barbie. But I guess, no, I should say Greta Gerwig's Barbie. You don't just always credit the writer. It's, she's the director. She wrote it. He also wrote it. I'm just being very transparent. Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned. Just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can find me under the lights, diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. Yeah. You guys ever think about dying? When my heart breaks. Some things have been happening that might be related. When my world shakes. Cold shower Ooh. falling off my roof. <laughs> and my heels are on the ground. <gasps> Pause game on point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back. There we go. For all the visual, for all the viewers at home, get a great puke Hari Neff uh, screen cap here from Barbie. Uh, all right, Mark, let's talk about Barbie. It is a loaded film for a lot of reasons, I feel like. It's already, of course, a Fox News headline, this movie. Sight unseen, a lot of senators are yelling about it for dumb reasons. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Thank movie. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad. Yeah. I didn't brief Mark on the on all the classified documents I have on Barbie here. Um, but what we saw the movie, and we have an opinion, and I think we both agree... I think we agree almost completely. So I'll let you take the reins. What is Barbie and why did a grown man like you and me like it? 
It is a live action, apparently the first ever live action Barbie movie. I guess there were a bunch of direct to video animated it's like a cottage animated. industry. Yes. Yeah. Like straight to yeah. video Barbie movies. If you had a little sister or something in the 90s, you probably saw a lot of very poorly CGI animated Barbie movies, as well as Barbie like Game Boy games where you like ride around on horses and stuff. A lot of Barbie yeah. stuff. All that stuff. This big first big screen debut with Margot Robbie playing Barbie. Perfect casting. I mean, she looks like a Barbie doll, which is not a you know slight against her or a you know objectification of her. She just does. And the movie actually comments on that a couple of times, um, which is really funny. And that's the kind of movie that we get. This very self-aware. It knows it is a big advertisement for the dolls and the accessories and the clothing. And it has a lot of fun with that fact. So the basic story is Barbie and all the other Barbies and the Kens, we'll get to them later. They are in Barbie land, and they just have a blast. They are doing everything. They are president. They are Supreme Court justices. They are construction workers. They just kind of go around having fun like our main Barbie does. And that's it. And suddenly, our Barbie... Oh, and all of it with a uh, song in the soundtrack describing everything that's happening. Which yeah, is like, really... I wake up in the morning, I say hi to my Barbie, but it's a, it's a much better song than that. It's Mark and everything's Bronson is a produ- uh, the, Mark, the music guy. Classic producer. Good stuff. Yeah. It's a good song. It's a good, catchy song. Um, and suddenly she has, like in the trailer, she has that thought, like, you ever think about dying? And suddenly our Barbie is having an existential crisis. The song changes which is also a really good gag. And she realizes something is going on with the little girl who is playing with her. That's the whole thing. Like the Barbie is just, these Barbies are just conduits for the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts of the children who play with them. Um, And so she decides to travel to the real world and figure out what is going on. And Oh boy, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. I don't, I don't know. what. There's a lot more going on than that. But first and foremost, it's fun. It's funny. It knows exactly what it's doing. There's. It never feels like an advertisement, even though it is very much an advertisement. Mattel yeah. probably has a more elaborate lo- logo than Warner Brothers at the top. Mattel is a central character in this movie by way of Will Ferrell, who plays the CEO of the company. It's, it's very much advertising. I cannot believe that the company signed off on what Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, the co-screenwriter do with this. Cause they, they mock Mattel for having like all men running everything. Um, they have the creator of Barbie locked away in a room somewhere or the ghost of the creator of Barbie at this point, obviously yeah. locked away in a room, never to be heard from or spoken to again. Yeah. There's so much going on here. I can't believe the company signed off on it, but also there's no such thing as bad advertising. This movie exactly, it they is, like, they, but yeah, it's all yeah. no, yeah, no, uh, all press is good press, right? And then like, yep. there's also that idea that yeah, they're gonna actually like people will think of them as a cool company maybe now because like yeah. ooh, they allow themselves to be skewered in this way. But I think you're totally right. It's all those things, and I think the way it skewers them is such a it's so broad that like it's like. I and I actually understand why Mattel would let it slide. You know, I feel like it's not incisive enough. Where you're like, it's like specific enough to Mattel. It's just like, yeah, broad generalizations about like corporate boardrooms being dominated by men making women's products and stuff like that. But the movie is very clever about how it goes about all that. And I agree. 
it feels like it's getting away with something, right? Yeah, it totally does. It um, it feels like it's getting away with a lot. Um, and I appreciate that. I It has, I mean, we're going to have to talk about the fact that it does have a very overt political message about the fact yes. that Barbie land is run by women and it works. And then Barbie and Ken arrive in the real world and she is ogled. She is assaulted. Yeah. And within within seconds of arriving. Within, yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, all of that happens really quickly and she does not understand it at all. There's this, I, 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 I oh man, I don't want to give away gags, but like, there's this whole thing, like, a, um, a fashion model, a fashion show, um, like a Miss America contest, uh, on the billboard for that. She's like, oh, oh it's yeah. the Supreme Court. Yes. And, uh, that was very funny. It's a very funny gag. It's full of gags, full of sight gags, full of a lot of topical humor, which is still unfortunately topical that we still have to keep talking about this stuff, but we do. And I love that the movie addresses it and satirizes just the entire culture and society of corporate feminism. And because that's the other thing is that it does point out that it is the, even just the message making here is a piece of corporate thing, trying to show that they're aware of what's going on. And is that actually answering any questions? Is it solving any problems? No, no, the movie doesn't either, but it's still a lot of fun and it's funny um, and insightful about the way that it gets about doing that. Yes. I would say I was surprised by the, to, the the degree to which the movie's like about Ken, but then when you think about what the messaging actually ends up being about the movie and how it's like it's a man's world and women are just living in it, it kind of makes sense to center Ken in that way. And I think it's kind of ingenious to do that as well, if only because Ryan Gosling is delightful and hilarious as Ken and really commits to it, and Margot Robbie is completely amazing as Barbie for like a completely different reason as Gosling. Where I feel like she commits on like this earnest level that is just really hits the emotional parts where you're not expecting it to hit because Barbie just comes to represent like womanhood in this movie. This is a movie about being a woman in the world and being a mother or being a, you know, being a mother that was once a daughter that had the dolls and like what that meant to someone who's now a little older versus what that means to someone who's a little younger. And I think, if the mo- if I have to complain about anything, it'd be that the movie, I think it tries to have every possible argument you could have about Barbie within it. It just is constantly like, well, for the people who like Barbie, we're going to have all this stuff that says why it's good for feminism. And like, it is funny because Barbie in Barbie world, the Barbies themselves all think the real world is great and perfect because we exist and we are here for the girls of the real world to play with and be inspired by. And it doesn't occur to Barbie until she's in the real world that there's negative effects of what the Barbie, what Barbie represents too. So the movie like gives lip service to both. And it's, it's very, I don't mean to lip service sounds mean. I'm, I'm just like, it plays all sides. It just shows, it definitely plays like the, I would say that's, I don't even want to say the corporate advertising side. Cause you're right. It never feels like, we are selling you Barbies. It is just like earnest about what Barbie could mean to somebody who loves it. And it's also, it also engages with the idea that people would think Barbie sucks. And I think that's, it was, it's admirable and it's interesting, but I think doing that and then also having the movie be Ken discovers the patriarchy and brings it back to Barbie world. Like, I think it's fun and great. It just, it's a little scattershot, I guess is my point. And like, that's fine. It's a kid's movie, first of all, and it's a comedy and if if I have one overarching like note, it's that I just I, 
well, it's going to sound stupid because I'm a 31 year old man complaining about the Barbie movie, but I'm like, I wish it were funnier. And I think there are the target audience will find it perfectly funny. Uh, and that's why I'm just saying it's stupid for me to even say it should be funnier to me. I want it to be funnier. I want jokes that cater to me. Uh, but there are there's a there's a there's a Snyder cut joke in this movie, which puts it in rarefied Warner Brothers air. Um, because I feel like Matrix Four is a movie at Warner Brothers that makes fun of Warner Brothers, and there's another one too. Um, Space Jam, Space Jam Two is about making fun of Warner Brothers, so they're they're very down to make fun of themselves, which is interesting. Um, another non-issue, but a reason I'm not like Gaga over the movie, where some of my colleagues are. Um, it just feels very like riffing on pre-existing structure movie, where it's like fish out of water thing. And like specific, like you know, it's like Toy Story in in the sense of they're toys that are that have internal lives, but they're also played with by children. And then it's like Elf in that it's a magical realism, other world character shows up in the real world. And in that sense, it's like every kids movie, isn't it? Isn't it like the Smurfs, the 2011 Smurfs, where the Smurfs are suddenly in in New York or whatever? It just feels a little safe in that regard, but. Again, I'm nitpicking a kid's movie and just I feel stupid doing it. But I want to make clear, I'm kind of right in the middle on it where I see the people who saw this movie, gave it five stars, four out of four and go, this movie's so important. I think it's um, brilliant. It, I'm a woman and I watched it and I felt myself represented. Like I, I totally understand that. And I to- I don't, I'm not going to roll my eyes and go, I can't believe that. I totally believe it. And I think they're justified to think so. I think having that reaction is completely reasonable for the movie that's on screen it is good it delivers that um and i think the people who look at it and like kind of roll their eyes at it and can't get into it i think i see that side too because there's for every joke that lands i would argue there's another one that didn't for me and like it's just constantly throwing jokes at you but that's what a comedy should do so i'm not gonna hold it against it for not appealing to me a 31 year old man (laughs) in that regard um so i guess i'm just trying to figure out why I didn't come out on the side of some of my colleagues who really, really, really loved it. But I did like it. And I think the bottom line, Mark, and you'll probably agree with this sentence, is that it's the best case scenario for a Barbie movie. Like, I do not see a better version of this movie existing. One that's more, that has more to say. Like, yes, it's a corporate product, but at least it's self-aware about that fact. And it may not be exactly subversive, but I think some people would argue it is. Like, would you say it's subversive? Um, it's aversive about certain things. Like we talked about it, like the fact that you can, you know, slightly attack Mattel in the course yeah. of a movie produced by Mattel and, you know, being used get away as Mattel for yeah, advertising. Exactly. You get away with that stuff. That's subversive enough. But yeah, I don't know how, how much more subversive it could be without, you know, really just becoming this entire like a middle finger to thing. children. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It would have right. to be this entirely different thing. You'd have to, you know, pretty much just say Barbie is awful for society and here's why. Um, that would probably be the most subversive thing you could do, but there's no way that movie would ever get made. <laughs> um, but it does, you know, it touches upon it enough that it does feel subversive. And, but I mean, yeah, more importantly, it's funny and it takes this very scattershot approach to comedy and the satire, but it does have a focus. It does have things that it wants to say about society and culture and women's place in it and the way that men just are men (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I right. mean, that's I'm assuming that's why everybody over on the uh, the right side is mad about it. Um, well, yeah, but I you think and then you watch the actual movie and I think it's very empathetic and it's more about humanity yes, it is. Than, it is, than it is about men and women. And that's the thing. Yep. Like the patriarchy is this like thing that they become intoxicated by and need to be like talked out of. You know what I mean? Like it's easy yeah. to fall into. And like, I don't think I just think it, you risk going a little. I don't know. I feel like it goes. It, it, it's, it's. I don't want to say it's surface level in those things because it's definitely engaging with these ideas. It just has so many ideas. I guess is my own yeah. only thing, and I can't really follow all of them through. Uh, but I will say, I feel like it's just under two hours, and it really like didn't feel that to me. It like kind of flew by. It has really great production design. the The world that they built is really cool. It has these like cartoonishy flourishes, like when they get into car accidents and stuff that. I can't decide if I thought like if I liked I'm like it's just interesting. It's just a weird little movie, right? Like they had to make a movie about a Barbie doll and they did they have some weird little flourishes like how she floats around because a Barbie would be like played with and float around. It's fun, it's good. I don't know why I have to hedge this so much. I can just like this movie and not think it's like the best thing of the year. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I enjoyed it. I think it's fun. I think as yeah, I said I said it already. It's as, for a movie that is a corporate product that is meant to ultimately b- bolster the brand. It's the best case scenario, and that they made an entertaining movie that I think is meaning will be meaningful to kids who watch it. Will be meaningful to parents who watch it, maybe. And yeah, it has ultimately positive messaging about humanity, and you know, it gets it. You know, it's fun to see. I don't particularly love the Barbie. Do you guys think about death thing? I think it's kind of like just maybe laid on a little thick. There's something about it that. Even in the movie, it didn't really work for me. That scene, like I was, I was kind of not with this movie for the first fifteen minutes. Uh, to be honest with you, I was a little worried about it. But ultimately, you just have to get acclimated to the world and what they're doing, and the the those performances, man, they're really great. I don't. A lot of people are throwing the Oscar word around, which I don't. I, I don't. I don't know about all that. But it's a very fun movie, and I think it's going to make a shit ton of money this weekend. And that's cool. <laughs> it's is it cool? I'm like, yay, corporations, yay, Mattel. I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah. better than the other what top grossing movie right now is probably like Super Mario Brothers. So I yeah, mean, it's exactly. Definitely and better than that. That's also that's, corporate product, and that movie has that nothing to say. It just is. Look at product. these things exactly. Yep. So that? It, exactly. So when you're putting them side by side, it's very easy to see which like the 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 value in having like. And you know a writer's director uh, that are doing this, and it's not just some corporate hack job. They actually care to try to inject some art and stuff into it. And I'm not saying it's high art, but it's definitely more high art than some other corporate products like Super Mario yeah. Brothers. So I, I think we're both in line that it's a three star, three out of four movie. Then you should go yep. see it. Yeah, definitely, definitely De- cool. And I think we're also going to agree on this next movie which is the second half of the Barbenheimer weekend double feature that everyone should be doing this week. This is Oppenheimer, the new Chris Nolan movie. Uh, coming off Tenet, which I don't want to call a box office bomb because of COVID stuff, but, but, it, but it, it was. It didn't do very well. Uh, but it's not really his fault. Or is it? We'll see. With Oppenheimer. Here's the trailer. This is a national emergency. Didn't need a charge. (laughs) 
We're in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. I have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly do that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Let's go recruit some scientists. Build a town, build it fast. We don't let scientists bring their families. We'll never get the best. Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan, every character actor and actor you've ever seen in any movie is in this movie at some point or the other. Uh, what is there to say? How do you? How do we start talking about this three-hour epic movie that encompasses doesn't encompass like the entire life of the man, but it sure does capture um, the spirit of his struggle with the biggest moment of his life that is why we all know his name and it is riveting even if it is a movie mostly of close-ups of dudes in rooms talking uh you know in like hearing speak but it is still riveting uh i'll have mark take it away because I'm, I'm struggling to convey why it's so good it's it's hard to simplify it that's the thing there's so much going on here it's i mean it is a biography of yeah the key chapters of J. Robert Oppenheimer's life. It is a study of his politics. It's a study of his personal relationships. It gets into great detail about how the Manhattan Project was executed on just a uh, strategic level, but yes. also on the scientific level. It is about quantum mechanics to some degree. Yeah, it's it about is quantum a- mechanics coming to the U.S. via this man. Yeah, it's about the shifting political climate from before the war until after the war and how the dropping of the atomic bomb very, very realistically changed that entire dynamic on an international stage. Um, It is a conspiracy movie, too. It's about the question of how did this man who was to the entire world a national, well, at least the entire country, a national hero for overseeing this project that won the war in the Pacific. Um, or did it? That's another question that it raises. There's so many questions here. Um, how did that man end up becoming a pariah, essentially, to the entire government oper- uh, apparatus? Uh, how does that happen? It gets into that. It gets into the question of that and who was overseeing that and how that plays in the political game. It is. So, I- there is so much going on here. And um, it's like one of those movies that's like ultimately it's not just about Oppenheimer. It's about humanity and what what man seeks to achieve and how different men want power and what actual power lo- looks like versus like people who are petty and want power versus people who actually have it but don't want to wield it and still have to end up wielding it. And it's a movie about how, you know, there are some people who can only think in theory. And like, that's what Oppenheimer is. He's like a theorist guy. He did all these theories. And then, you know, at some point theory becomes action and then it's a whole different fuck ball game and everything changes. So yeah, it's this movie about so many things and it's about those things in subtle ways. And it's, you know, so obviously it's not a movie for everybody. I feel like it's going to lose a lot of people. I feel like maybe they're overselling it as like an action movie. You know, it feels like they're definitely overselling it as like a, things go boom experience but like trust me that sequence where they do 
the atomic bomb test, um, like the centerpiece sequence of the movie, the reason it's an IMAX probably, which we can also talk about uh, later. I want to give like an IMAX recommendation, yes or no at the end. We'll get back to it. But that sequence, I'm, I don't know if you felt this way too, but I talked to two other critics afterwards and we all said the same thing. We're like, we, it's crazy because we all know the story of this movie. We've all lived in the shadow of it our whole lives. We know where it's building. The movie doesn't like, it's not a trick that they're building up to this bomb. We know it's going to happen. And still, the fucking, my gut, my heart, while watching that scene, it is like edge of your seat, nerve wracking. You want to throw up just completely like upsetting because I think the movie does a great job of building up to it. And it even, it does an even better job afterwards of like the impact and what it means and how horrifying it actually is. Uh, and the way that manifests is terrific, but that scene, the technical, wow, blow away, just technical, what do you call it? Visual effects, fire on screen, holy shit, spectacle. That scene delivers. Like I heard people talking about it before in the press. It was like people say it's like a horror movie. It makes them feel feel bad. I'm like, yeah, I got that. I get it. I did feel that. Um, but like besides that big scene, it's just a lot of people talking in rooms. And that makes it sound boring. And I assure you it's not. Um, and I appreciate that he loves IMAX enough to shoot a movie like this in that format. Because he's right. You just get so much more information in terms of just, oh, it's so much more vivid, the picture. And he's right that like that, that vividness, when you shoot on IMAX, it translates. When you, when you go home and that movie's on 4K, it will play the IMAX sequences in a better quality and resolution. So like, I appreciate that um, he did that for this movie, even though it's a movie that you, you know, someone who's a purist of IMAX might go, you know, Mission Impossible, even though it wasn't shot in IMAX, it's more spectacle driven. And I want to see big, action set pieces that way and i appreciate that no one's like no you want to see cillian murphy's face and like really get the detail of what he's feeling and it's an amazing performance that a lot of it is wordless right yeah his performance i, I mean we're talking like best of the year performance from Killian Murphy here. He is so good and so much of it is internalized and so much of it is contradictory that's what i love about this film is that it doesn't give you this clear cut picture of Oppenheimer. He is, yes, a man who deals in theory more than in practice. He's a man who lives his life, despite that, fairly recklessly in terms of his personal experiences. He has, has you know this affair with this woman that goes badly for reasons that at first seem to be from her and then later turn out to be from him. Um, and then he marries the wife of a colleague after she gets a divorce, after they've had an affair. Like It's very, very messy. And he, but he lives that entire first chapter of the movie without dealing with any kind of consequences because that's not his realm. He doesn't deal with consequences. He deals with theory. And as soon as that bomb goes off, that's when all of those consequences hit and he has to deal with them. And we don't know for sure exactly how he feels about it because he also is this man who is ego-driven too. Yeah. And so the, one of those big questions that keeps getting asked in like the third act of the movie is, um, just because you feel bad about what actually happened and what happened and why the bomb was used and how it was used and how many people died in such a horrible, horrible way, uh, and it, the way it changed the world, would you still have done it? And it leaves that hanging at yeah. the end, by the end. And you don't know, like, you know that he is regretful about what happened, but also like, this is the pinnacle of his life's work It's the pinnacle for the, it defined the entire 
second half of the 20th century and it's still defining our world now. Yeah. Like, would he have changed that? I don't know by the end. And I love that it leaves that hanging, that ambiguity of like, is this is this man a hero? Is he a villain for the entire globe? Um, or is he just a guy who was completely in over his head because he just wanted to do the best that he could do? Um, and Murphy communicates all of that entirely just through, you're right, through his facial performance. Yeah. Just, and having that detail, you, did, I assume you saw it on IMAX. I did. Right? Yeah. I saw it at 70 millimeter. 70 millimeter. Um, which IMAX. also has a. Yeah. Also, I saw it just oh, 70 you saw millimeter. You 70 not right IMAX. There. Got it. Yeah. Got it. But even that, even having the 70 millimeter presentation, so much more detail that you can get garner from yes. the backdrops and, and, yeah, the faces. I just want to make you feel so better. My, my IMAX rec is that it doesn't matter. Is that you could. My IMAX rec is to go see yeah. it in 70 if you can. And of course, 70 IMAX if available. But it doesn't. It's one of those movies where. It's not like adding because the movie does take up the screen a lot of the time. It's that classic. No one's really the only guy I feel like anymore who actually shoots with IMAX cameras a lot of the time. So like the movie's arguably distractingly constantly jumping aspect ratios between the movie and the IMAX size. Um, And it's just like I watched the whole movie. I can confirm the IMAX size. Maybe it adds a little to that bomb sequence because it's incredible. But like the rest of the time, it just like is, you know, big, but it's a close up. <laughs> it's big, but it's him walking somewhere like it's not it doesn't add that much. And I think you're, you're perfect off seeing this however you see it in a the theater. I just think you have to see it in a the theater. If you can see it in 70, great. Um, I don't want to get too hung up on that. But I wanted to make clear that like it's kind of funny to me that like this is the movie that they made a big deal about. Uh booking all the IMAXs and taking them away from all the summer blockbusters. But I love it. I think I genuinely think it's great. Um, but yeah, I would say you could sum up this movie with a quote from another Nolan movie from The Dark Knight. Either you die a hero. Uh-oh. Did it did it freeze? My computer uh, not on, I didn't see anything. Uh, okay, freeze. great. I'll also okay. say it again to be clear. Um, I think this movie can be best summed up by a quote from another Nolan movie, The Dark Knight, uh, either you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. It's funny how well that works for this movie. Um, and it made me laugh thinking about how like the Sound of Freedom team could make this movie about Dr. Fauci in 80 years. <laughs> and we'd be like, ooh, the moral ambiguity. It's actually, I'm just kidding. There's actually not a lot of moral ambiguity with the, with the Fauci one. But uh, yeah, it's an incredible movie that even if you don't, uh, if you if you're completely ignorant of like the guy who invented the bomb, I mean, a lot of people probably are. It's not a story people my age know. I think it's super insightful. And in addition to being like the historical document type of movie, that's like you know, I think a lot of people are comparing it to like JFK, and I get that. I think there's a lot of comparisons to Social Network. I get that. I saw someone compare it to Amadeus, which I think is just kind of like. Because that's Downey, actually a pretty good. That's actually yeah. kind of a good. Yeah, because Downey is Salieri in that comparison, I guess. But like, yeah, I think it's it's doing. It's definitely inspired by a lot of things. It feels kind of Michael Manny to me. Like, there's a lot of things I really loved about it. I'm excited to see it again. I think it's a very very rich text that Mark and I could spend the whole rest of the episode talking about, and we wouldn't get to all of it. Um, yeah, we didn't even talk about Downey. Downey's character, and he's great no. in this too. It's very subdued. There are so many actors in this. It was it's, shocking how it's the actors. Stunning. Like, Kenneth Branagh shows up for two scenes. Um, I, I probably Gary got Oldman one you didn't up. even notice because I, I I was the only person 
I, I I was the first. I did a bunch of Twitter searches, Google searches. I couldn't find a word. Did you Did you catch David Strathairn in the last scene? I heard about him. In okay, it. yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> He doesn't speak or anything. He just is there. And then I actually Googled it trying to find it. And what I did find is that David Strathairn has played J. Robert Oppenheimer in two things, in a TV movie in 1989 and a PBS documentary about the trials where he did like dramatizations as him again in like 2003 or something. So it's obviously just like an uncredited cameo, like let's put David Strathairn in Oppenheimer so he can have a third Oppenheimer movie on his resume. But that's, that's not even here nor there. There's actual people in the movie that just will show up and stun you. Be like, is that Josh Peck? Is that Gary Oldman? Is that Casey Affleck? Is that Jack Quaid? Is that David Dashmalian? Is that Alex Wolf? Is that James Urbaniak? <laughs> it was unbelievable. And they kept popping up yeah. and they, it, they never stopped. The whole movie, like you and think it's, it's over. And it's not and distract- more. You think it would be distracting, but it's not no. because it's you know for people who appreciate like seeing big name actors or character actors that you've you know yeah. come to know their work pop up out of nowhere. It's like oh okay, and they all give it their all for these. Oh like, yeah, Benny Safdie. Benny Safdie. Yes, great in this. Oh, yeah, he's really good in this. He plays um he plays the guy who wants to develop the hydrogen bomb instead yeah. of the atomic bomb. Uh, so instead of uranium, plutonium, to try to uh, right. fission, try to do hydrogen. Well, he eventually fusion, gets his way, doesn't he? <laughs> he does, yeah. And that's that whole. Oh man, there's yeah, there's so much stuff to talk about in this. Um, any kind, I, I don't, I don't even think if we took <laughs> two hours to dig through this. I know it's so go through everything. Um, yeah. as I mentioned earlier, I really love that it's about. The, uh, it's about this. It's about Oppenheimer. It's about the senator. There's a brief section I would argue that it ropes in President Truman and in its argument about powerful men who all think mm-hmm. the world revolves around them and who it really does revolve around. It's it's got so much going. On. I think it it's deceptive. I think a lot of people will dismiss it for being like a long, boring, talky movie. Maybe if they're expecting like a typical, a more typical Nolan spectacle with more twists and turns and like messing with time it's very straightforward even if it does kind of jump around it's very straightforward and if i had to give it a knock i'll give it the typical knock everyone does to a nolan movie right the female characters but like in the context of this movie easy argument to make that this movie is from oppenheimer's perspective for a lot of it and that is how he was with these women he just fucking didn't care he was a womanizer he pushed them off to the side and that is a part of the narrative so like you could argue against it. And I will say, Emily Blunt gets a great scene. She doesn't get a lot of great scenes. She gets a lot of doting, alcoholic, wife-at-home stuff. Where she, There's my favorite scene where she has like a public glass of booze, like a martini that she's publicly drinking, but she also has her secret flask. And there's one part where she's like pouring her booze into more booze, and I was like, we get it. She's an alcoholic, Nolan. Thank you. Um... So there's some of that stuff that you could argue is a little limiting, but I don't know. That stuff's because all distracting commentary for me about this movie and what it's actually about and what it's and what it's good at. And I think you know the treating women like shit as a casualty of the narrative fits the narrative. So it's kind of a stupid thing to say, but in this case, maybe it's not the case in other Nolan movies. But it does feel fine here. Um, I. I don't want to say it's like Nolan's masterpiece because I already feel that way about Interstellar. I think Interstellar is an amazing movie. 
Um, but like this is like another masterpiece from Christopher Nolan, right up there with that, right up there with Dark Knight. I rewatched The Prestige recently, thought it was great still. I love The Prestige. That's Prestige like is great. For me. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. It's so much fun. And I think there's people who say Christopher Nolan's like humorless, and that is just so fundamentally untrue to me. Like The Prestige is the silliest shit on earth. Like, especially <laughs> by the end, when you're just like, This is this movie's very silly, and it's gleeful about it. And I think um, that comes through in Tenet. It doesn't come through here, maybe, uh, in, in Oppenheimer. It's not a funny movie, but it's not trying to, you know, it's got the Matt Damon laughs. It's got. Yeah, Damon's. Oh, we, we didn't even talk about Matt Damon. Matt Damon's really good at this, Matt too. Matt Damon's one of the he's best the performances military, in a while. A, yeah. yeah, military handler who, you know, just, yeah, like doesn't know what's going on, but he tries to keep everybody on track and hide, not really hide Oppenheimer's past, but just kind of yeah. like work around it to the best that he can. Yeah, really good performance. Oh, yeah, that, I, yeah, no, wait, I don't even want to bring it up. <laughs> the whole near zero likelihood of the atmosphere. Oh, I, don't, I wanted to bring that and how, up. Yeah, yeah, but how, like, in the first time Oppenheimer hears that, he's very concerned. Until then, later, he's actually tried to convince Damon's character, like, oh, it's only near zero. Yep. Like, the, the concerns that he once the had are now The completely... corrupting nature of power. Correct. Yep. Yep. There is, there is so many... There's, like, multiple character arcs going on within Oppenheimer's character. I... Yeah, I really love this film, in case it isn't clear. And it is so character-focused. I was not expecting that. I don't know why I wasn't expecting it. Maybe just because of Because it's an IMAX advertising. Spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's not. It is, it's not that. It is all about these characters. It is all about these ideas about power and whether anyone should wield this much power, oh, let alone scene, a couple of men. The scene where they... Very, I, I don't even. It's like so heavy. I don't want to talk about. It. Just like yeah. the scene where they very casually pick the uh, uh, target in Japan. Yes. Oh my oh. god. <laughs> and he eliminates one. Like my wife and I honeymoon there, and that's the only reason that that city gets taken off. And like I laugh. My reaction was to laugh because it's obviously There's like only... a, it's a laugh yeah. line in that way, but it's the, the darkest possible. Holy yeah. shit! These people are choosing life or death for hundreds of thousands on a whim because yeah. they vacation there like the the uh, the power dynamics the exploration of who should ah ha- oh, it's so rich and haunting yeah. and that scene after he gives the when he's giving the victory speech mm-hmm. oh my fucking god dude it's that scene yeah. that is the best scene he's oh, ever filmed that is you the know, best one of the things scene no one's so ever amazing yeah one of the things that we've been um a lot of people including myself have been cl- complaining about with nolan is that his uh lack of control with sound um mixing oh it's sure not, none of that is here sound is such an important element to this you can hear every single line of dialogue at least i could in my pre- in my presentation um but the I way that he uses one sound... thing einstein said and i was really annoyed towards the end okay i wish i remembered what he's it was not it's not you're yeah, right it's, not, it's not the movie's fault though yeah but the way that sound is used and not used in the oh, explosion yeah. yes. and in that victory speech um the way that that piercing scream just comes out of all the cheering it's so chilling it made yeah get same and i it made me wonder if i heard it and it wasn't there because they don't they don't linger on it or anything they don't do it again it just happens it just happens and you're like i think that's what he was doing like goddamn nolan you motherfucker yeah it is heavy dude and like you can tell you know the nolan in the press has been talking about like yeah, I was horrified of dying in an atomic bomb growing up. That's like we mm-hmm. we all were fearful of that. And like how that we all have lived in like the nightmare that he built and all that stuff. But like yeah, it is it it it, it the weight of all of that 
comes through in the movie and it has like an all-timer final line to me like a final yes. sequence and the way they build up to that final sequence with it also being like a, a, a crucial point in robert downey jr's narrative that moment um mm-hmm. it's all just so brilliantly done ah four out of four and if i could add a fifth i would i think at this point <laughs> it is fantastic yeah. four out of four easily best film i've seen so far this year um yeah hell yeah <laughs> We did it. We saw Oppenheimer and we reviewed it. We got to move on now to much horrible, much more horrible affairs. Cobweb, the Lionsgate horror movie, Lizzie Kaplan, The Boys, Anthony Starr, Evan Goldberg, Seth Rogen's names are on it, which threw me off big time because it does not feel like one of their movies. Here's Cobweb. It's okay, it was just a bad dream. I heard it again. No more nightmares tonight. Daddy! This is getting ridiculous. This is an old house. There's bound to be bumps in the night. Peter drew this? Yes. Is he all right? Peter has an overactive imagination. No more nightmares. No more. That's right. You know, I wish I had someone I could talk to about the things that were happening in my house. Mark, is the first thing you thought of once this movie was done, and honestly, for me, well before it was done, was this movie has been butchered by the studio or some secondhand entity. It does not feel like the movie that they set out to make. It feels like an 80-minute truncated version with very important story elements removed from it. And the ending to me feels like a reshoot that has nothing to do with anything else. It, It's... It's a movie that reeks to me like maybe this was once an interesting idea, but the final cut that that they cobbled together to get it to 80 minutes to put it out in theaters and dump it between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Like, it feels like this can't be the original vision of the movie. Did you feel that or no? Um, I don't know if I felt it that specifically, but I definitely did okay. feel like that ending is tacked on. That entire climax does not fit everything else that's coming before it's so Um, like labored and getting the characters there and like it's just like really really oh yeah all of the characters who end up in that situation (laughs) like like oh we need to get the teacher there so it's so stupid yeah okay bully it's the bully and the family members of the bully it's like why is that's what i was getting why would anyone go why would anyone go to that house for that reason when you could just wait i don't yeah yeah, that That was one of it's just that was one of yeah. many moments that like took me out and made me think that something happened where they're like, this was too dark or this was too one thing or the other. Let's make it a more generic horror movie with like a, you know, bendy, herky jerky, scary lady in the end eventually. <laughs> but like, I don't know. What is this movie, Mark? Before we um before we butcher it ourselves. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, well, before the third act, and up to a certain point, maybe around the second act, I'm at least like, okay, this is take take a childhood fear, something going bump in the night, and just rip on it. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. Let's just keep up that air of mystery. What's going on behind this wall that the kid is hearing in the middle of the night? Why can't his parents hear it? Is there something going on in this kid's head? Is there something else going on with the family? I'm like, okay, it's just something going bump in the night. It's a good setup. Just like the thing under the bed or the thing in the closet. That's that's a fear that we have all had at one point. Um, and then, yeah, it becomes, it said the story about these abusive parents. And um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't on board with that that much because they are so over the top in terms That's of the abuse the issue. And the movie treats it like it's a reveal later when they're like, surprise, these parents aren't aren't so good. It's like, yeah, no shit. You've been, We've been watching it. On, it. <laughs> you've been piling it on so fucking thick since the opening moments. Like it just. It's crazy. That's what that's what I mean when I say it feels like something hap- has, has to have happened here because I think there's a morsel of an intriguing premise on abusive parents and abusive and abused children. But like all that substance got cut so they could add just like tropey bullshit. It never feels like a cohesive or coherent narrative. It constantly just feels like a string of scenes poorly strewn together. All the setup feels like it was removed. Like I feel like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, that's what happened. Obviously just like, it's a hack job. But if we're just judging it as like the movie and what it is, like I was so on board for that horror movie about an abused kid, even though it's borderline exploitive or whatever. Um, But it just doesn't do anything with that broken family stuff. Very compelling discards it all for the most generic bullshit. It also reminded me, of a movie that everyone loved, but I didn't. So maybe, so maybe I'm wrong, and everyone will love Cobweb. But did it, it reminded me of the Black Phone a little bit uh, until it doesn't, and then it becomes something else. I would say, yeah. But I, mean, feels, I did like, the, I did like the Black. Phone, I don't but understand that. But that's know, a whole other hour of that's unpacking. a whole other conversation. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand why. Why it's so fucking stupid and bad. Um, but it, yeah. In addition to like this movie just feeling like it's missing setup. I feel like it just doesn't have a lot of tricks up its sleeve. Like I, I remember it doing a lot of camera tilting. It just is a lot of camera tilts, a lot of suggested off-screen kills. Um, it has like yeah. a hereditary <laughs> crawl on the wall moment. Like I just, it just all felt so calculated and uninteresting to me. Why didn't it work yeah. for you? It didn't work for yeah. It didn't work for me because yeah, the abusive the abuse stuff starts to feel exploitative because. You're like, okay, the parents are abusive. So either this movie is about that or it's about something else entirely. That's a red herring for something else going on. Like either way, I'm not very comfortable with the way that it's presented because again, the parents are so over the top in terms of the abuse that it feels like you hit me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love Lizzie Kaplan, but I feel like this isn't her best work. And no, it is not. It is not almost entirely the script's fault, but it's just, she's like the tropiest tropey bad mom character in a horror movie it's really wild how, how not yeah. good she is in this and she has the ability to teleport apparently we yes. forget about that scene with yes. the phone yes. <laughs> She's I just did. suddenly just suddenly there in the room like oh wait how did that happen anyway yeah there's a lot of that stuff a lot of like jump scare people just showing up where in, in unlikely places just because they need to be there for so, a scare to work um yeah and I was so I was questionable about the setup and the payoff is just terrible. It's just it's bad. Yeah. Just creature feature junk 
where you can tell that it, at first I was like, are they hiding this thing because to create suspense or are they hiding it because it just looks terrible? And as soon as you see it, you're like, oh, it's it's definitely the second <laughs> second option there. It's, yes, it's yeah, I'm not a fan of this. Yeah, it's a bummer because the when the trailer came out, the trailer's not bad. And the and Twitter was like the director or it had I think the trailer said from the producers of barbarian and like it or whatever then i think they also is is maybe they did get out as well Roy Lee, i think uh anyway it has like all these it had all these big names on it big movies on it and the trailer was scary enough everyone was like this is the new horror movie this summer it's gonna be it's gonna be great and it just it doesn't deliver at all it really really let me down i was really hyped to watch it uh actually i watched it with my wife and we both she had, it's not like she was like oh that was great <laughs> we we both were like that was like kind of unbelievably bad. Um, not a good movie. Very generous, I would say, one and a half for me to Cobweb, a movie that I really don't think is in the form it was meant to be. I would love to hear from the director on that in the future. At some point, you'll probably hear something. But yeah, one and a half stars for me, too. Nice. We're in sync the whole time so far. Completely. So far. I think we're Let's gonna... see. I think we're going to continue for at least a minute. Um, let's talk about a movie on Netflix. I'm back to my watching movies on Netflix phase. Um, and you know what? I'm glad I did. Because this one, it makes me think they acquired it. Because it's actually good. <laughs> um, here is They Clone Tyrone. Everything okay in there, baby? I'm just an average man. With an average life. Where the money at? I'm an entrepreneur. I work in the spirit of the pimp game. You know, your girl got to know what's going on in these streets. That's the car right there. Shit. I'm going to elevate that Slick, come on. That make your spider senses tingle. Oh, my shit is don't let the back door hit you. Uh, we gotta, we gotta go. I don't know what that was, but that wasn't me. Somebody is conducting experiments on us. I'll start, bang. Thankfully, I found this movie to be funny enough. It's very funny. Uh, funny enough throughout to make up for the fact that it's, you know conspiracy uh sci-fi horror premise is kind of just like a grab bag of a whole bunch more iconic movies that we've seen already do similar stuff but it has a unique way into it uh and thankfully it's very funny and i think that and like great performances from john boyega and J- jamie fox and tiana paris makes it totally a fun watchable movie that may have a little bit of that netflix bloat where it's like a little too long, maybe, but it's under two hours. And I had a good time. I thought it was a lot of fun. What did you think of it? Yeah, I did too. It, it is a very sharp and funny and subversive. This is an actually subversive movie, I think. Yeah. Satire of society and culture and government and these secret projects and conspiracy theories made real uh, unexpectedly in unexpected ways. Um, I, I, yeah, it's tough to, it's tough to talk about just because there's a lot of like stereotypical 
uh, things about culture going on in here. Um, but I mean, it makes a culture, point in, with them in the sense that this is a movie about a drug dealer, a prostitute, and a pimp. <laughs> like exactly, like it's yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. And there's a yeah, reason it uses and, yeah, hundred percent. It's using yeah. black stereotypes to tell a story about you know the government white culture whatever it is uh, the world using black stereotypes against black people in like a nefarious yeah. way <laughs> yeah i don't want to give away too much specific yeah. way i don't either yes. but man there's so much stuff going on here it's like funny the, yeah the church scene where it i mean i don't know if it's because it's david allen greer playing the pre preacher oh, right yes he's like he's i think he's specifically dressed up or maybe i just read into it too much to look like karl marx because basically that church scene is the opiate of the masses moment <laughs> it's yeah. like that's the level of subversion going on here like to look at these things like there's there's so many horrible things going on in this neighborhood a lot of them done by boyega's character who's a drug dealer this low rent drug dealer who's you know runs over a guy with his car <laughs> a rival drug dealer and like an early scene in the movie he's not a hero here he's just a guy who's there and then you find out he's there for a specific reason um but all there's all this stuff going on i i yeah i don't want to dig it too much into it because it is really funny the way that it uses these um these stereotypes and these artifacts of culture to tell this story about how um these situations are created and why they're created i don't know if it I don't know if it gets to the right answer by the end. There's a little bit of like monologuing by a character at the end. And it's all surrounded by these action sequences. I wasn't at all on board with all that stuff. It's like, it's too busy and it's not getting at the core yeah. of what it was doing before that. Um, yeah. And I think there's a, there's a specific line about like genetics that felt like it was kind of crossing a certain line <laughs> that it didn't need to. Sure. Um, but yeah, other than that stuff, it's really funny, really smart. You are entirely correct. Boyega is really good. Jamie Foxx is playing like stereotypical 70s pimp who is stuck in the past. Yes. Um, and he's really, really funny in this. He uh, Tiana Paris. Yeah. He made me yeah. laugh immediately with a line that I, you know, he's a stand up comedian that I've been watching. His first special is from 1992. And like I grew up watching him and he's very dirty and funny and silly. So I've always thought he was so funny. And he kills me in this movie. He, it feels to me like he did a lot of improv on this movie and like made it a lot yeah. funnier than it was because he's, you know, the scene is like someone drank his orange juice. He's like, where's my orange juice? Who drank it? Was it you citrus? Like, I feel like <laughs> him having a prostitute named citrus. Maybe I'm, maybe I should Who get to the writers. Juice? Yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe the, the writers are that funny, but in my mind, I'm like, Jamie Foxx took that line and added the citrus thing. Like, I think he just is funny. Um, there's a lot of great jokes about, the movie Hollow Man. There's a great Denzel Washington <laughs> yeah. Day Book of Eli joke. It's just a funny movie that's like clever. And usually when movies reference movies, it's like annoying. And this movie's not annoying when it does that. It's very loving. And I could throw out a million movies I think it's influenced by. I feel like you could say it's like the Black Matrix, where people are realizing they're stuck in a system. It's they live. You put on the sunglasses and realize you're living in that system. Or it's just it's so many different types of movies. Uh, it's a definitely like angling to be like a black exploitation style movie. That's you know. it looks like one. I love yes. the cinematography and this yes. like grainy, very yes. thick grainy look to it. It's like yeah, this was made by people who understand exactly what they're doing in terms of the 100%. aesthetic, in terms of the satire until the third. But beyond that, it's like yeah. they know exactly what they're doing here, and it's really funny. Yeah, I could reference Clockwork Orange. I think a lot of people are going to reference Sorry to There's Bother a You. 
as a black. There's a direct movie. reference to the classical. Yes, there universe. is. I remember yeah. that now, actually. Um, sorry to bother you. A lot of people are going to call out, you know, black conspiracy movie. A lot of people are going to call out, say it's very Jordan Peele because it does have a like us. A lot of us may be in this movie a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a movie that is inspired by a lot of things and gleeful about it. And I think it has a lot of fun with its, you know, black people being under an actual conspiracy in the world type of movie. It delivers. Um, yeah, it's I was surprised by it. I usually don't, I don't expect to like two hour Netflix movies, but I, I enjoyed this one for the most part. But I agree. It has some third act problems, but not as bad as web. And for that, three stars for they clone Tyrone. Three stars for me, too. Yes. Oh, my God. We're insane. It's only worth checking out. It's. I wonder if there will ever be an episode where we're actually we agree every time because I think I'm about to ruin it. I'll, but just barely. Maybe I'll change my rating. So we. So yeah. No. Can, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't do that. I'm gonna, I mean, it's irrelevant, but don't do it. <laughs> fuck my integrity. I'm going to change my re- review as we talk about it. No, I think we're going to mostly agree, which is why it feels arbitrary that I'm half a star less than you on um the Beanie Bubble. Here's the trailer. Do you know what the greatest thing about America is? You can make things happen here like nowhere else. You have the power to create your own future. You can be anything. You can do anything. You want to sell high-end stuffed Himalayan cats? Understuffed, actually, for greater possibility. We're professionals. We're giving the people what they need. Did you see the latest numbers? We broke the entire internet thing. You go big! Mark, the Beanie Bubble. I think we have the same general issue with this movie, which is that it's a movie that wants very hard to be a Hidden Figures style story about the three women behind the man who invented this incredible empire that was a billion dollar you know billion dollar bubble company whatever it was a huge craze that if you grew up in the 90s you know about if you lived through it it purports to be this story about these women and the, one of the first things it says up top is this story is not about him and meaning Ty Warner the guy who invented Ty who invented Beanie Babies the company behind Beanie Babies um, they say the story is not about him it's about us and then it goes to the opening titles. And the first build person is Zach Galifianakis, who plays Ty Warner. And then I was like, well, that's that's un- that's unfair of me. They just told me that the movie's not about him. So maybe he has a better agent. And it's more an indictment of society that this man is top build in this movie that is a Hidden Figures-esque story about the women who really made it happen. Nope. It's a movie about Ty Warner being in charge and making a lot of money. And there's some, yes, there are some women involved, but it's kind of just about how they got the short shaft in his life because he was all consumed by this stuff. And it just is a weird, it just feels like they wanted their way into the story. And maybe the story didn't let them, like the story didn't actually call for it. And they said, no, no, I don't care. We're going to do that way in anyway. It's going to be the the hidden figures lady focus. Um, And it made the whole thing feel off to me in a way that, you know, these streaming movies about crazes often do. This is another one in the line of what would you call them? 
well, other movies, Tetris. Tetris uh, Air. I was Air. trying to go over these two earlier. Yeah. Uh, Tetris Air. Um, Blackberry is different because it's good. Blackberry is different, but it is. I mean, it it's is there. the same thing, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, there was one more. I think. We're definitely We're at a trend one. now. Yeah. We're at a trend. A trend. Nostalgia. Nostalgic for the 80s and 90s and revealing the dark underbelly of what actually happened there, I guess. Or the yeah. the true story. Flame and not, hot. You know, air isn't. But yeah. flame, flame and hot, hot. Was That was it. Yeah. That was the exact. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, that's a different tale. Yes. Um, yeah. That's where we're at right now. And yet, I mean, the Beanie Baby craze, I remember that very vividly. Yes. And like, it actually took place in you, you and I's backyard. Like it was it very did. much an Illinois based start for that company and yeah. I was my mom was all in on the s- stuff that's in this movie about like women going from store to store to find them and in, in suburb suburban LA. like my mom was doing that 100%. Yeah. So I like relate I remember... to the story and I go ahead, sorry. No, no, no worries. Yeah, I mean I I think yeah, I think anyone who lived through the 90s is going to remember this and uh yeah, I remember like the McDonald's tie-in and everyone going just wild over that. <laughs> Like that was like, oh yeah, I remember that happening. Um, the semi truck tipping over and everybody getting out of their cars to grab beady babies from a car wreck. Yes. Um, yeah, all True this story. stuff did happen. It did happen. We lived through it. Um, but yeah, this is uh, the story you didn't see. Uh, it turns out Ty Warner, not exactly the best guy. Who to thunk it? Um, and you're right. That is my big problem with what I think is otherwise kind of an interesting movie about this you know, burgeoning uh, internet business style because everybody is, you know, eBay pops up and people are selling, yeah. reselling stuff. But that's a, that eBay, eBay popping up is a perfect example of why these movies, like, they're just like prefab in a nope. way that annoys me, right? The eBay thing's a perfect moment for why um, true stories like this are often grating to me on screen. And it's because, you know, they have to introduce eBay and it's just always done in the most ham-fisted way where it's like, hey, there's that new auction website. Do you want me to check it out? Yeah, what's it called? Eport? Is that what it was? Was it Eport? And they're like, no, it's eBay. And it just, movies like this are full of moments like that where it's like, you can't like be cute and clever about something that you know we all, it just, it rubs me the wrong way when they're cute and clever and acting like they are prophetic about something when it's like we all live in the future we know that this is a thing you can stop being cute about it i think it's annoying and that happened a lot in this movie i think the first line elizabeth banks's husband says to her or maybe it's a different character but i think it's her did you pick up more tab did you pick up more tab honey yeah that was the husband who just exists yeah hey honey could you could you pick up tab it's 93 could you pick up tab it's 83 if you didn't know it's 1983. He may as well have just said, hey, honey, it is 1983. Um, it's just, it's not the most elegant script. But I, I understand what you're saying is giving it kind of a pass because it's, it's like not offensively bad or anything. It's totally watchable. But it has those moments that constantly take me out where I'm like, you're watching a movie that is from the future about the past and it is very excited about that fact. Um, but that's like my own personal pet peeve. That doesn't, does that bother you? Do you notice things like that? Um, I, oh, I definitely noticed like the tab line and yeah. joking around and, and, and Galvanic is throwing out that we broke the internet thing. Like that wasn't a phrase yes. at all. Broke the internet. Even and as then, like joke. the McDonald, the way the McDonald's tie in happens, like we all know that's going to happen. And he's like railing against corporate, uh, yeah. sponsor uh, deals. And then 
someone mentioned McDonald's. He goes, oh, I love McDonald's. Like, that's kind of a funny gag because, like, the idea that they happen to do this other multi-million dollar business on a, again, on a whim from a powerful guy for no reason. Uh, maybe that's part of the gag, but I think that's, all, yeah, I think yeah. that's more, yeah, I think that's more character stuff. That's more like this guy's a hypocrite on top of just being completely oblivious and power hungry for over, you know, these little details and a control freak and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, the big problem here is you have Elizabeth Banks and you have Sarah Snook you have Gerald V, Geraldine Biswanathan. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Apologies if it's not. But you have she's all from these blockers, three women who are, right? Yes, she is. Blockers. Yeah, and she's yeah. yeah, she's good. All three of them are very good here, and I liked all of those characters. But they are all ultimately defined by this one man who is exists in all three of their stories to appear like oh he's a generally nice guy with a vision, but he's got some quirks, but it's okay. You're just waiting for the other shoe to drop in each and every single uh, of those storylines. You're just yeah. waiting for it. And you know, it's not a great it's structure. Gonna, it's not, it's not a great structure. Um, there are a couple of things that it misses. Like there's this whole thing about like um, when you're introduced to one character, like, Oh, we'll get back to that later. He looks out the window. is like, what's that? They do get back to it, but they never they don't get back to it in the context of the setup. And so I, by the end of the movie, I'm like, wait, what was the like, thing? What was that what about? Was the thing? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, it was that moment. But they didn't pay it off as a joke. Yeah. Even though they set it up as a, oh, you'll figure out about what happened there later. But they don't play it that way. There, yeah, there are definitely structural issues and writing issues here. Yeah. But and I then, really, I really liked all the performances. Yeah. Uh, enough to kind a- of overlook all that stuff. Yeah, I I thought one of the things I texted to you after was Zach Galifianakis, like good, good performance. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I was going to focus on a bad line I hated. When this movie has someone say "hurt people, hurt people," which really another line where I'm like, "Shut up, come on." Um, but you know, there's that part where he's like freaking out about getting with Sarah Snook and he's like, I can't be a parent. I'm still a child. I need to be taken care of. And yeah, that's such a potent trenchant idea that belongs in a better movie because I was like, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And her response to it was not what I was expecting either. That scene that takes place after that, I wasn't expecting that. I'm like, Oh, that doesn't, that belongs in a better movie too. Yeah. Um, um, Yeah. I don't, I don't have a big problem with the movie. It's the idea behind the movie itself my big issue and it's enough. I don't, I can't recommend the movie fully or to any degree. I know some degree for the performances and all that, but it is, this is this guy's show. It is Ty Warner show. It's Zach Galifianakis show. And all the women are there to just slowly be betrayed by them in the same exact way. And um, yeah, it just feels repetitive by the end. And I don't think it gets at the heart of being the story of these three women, um, except through their relationship with him it's like the ending coda it's like oh their better days were ahead of them essentially like well why couldn't we have heard that story well, if you really about want to make it about these? yeah yeah, yeah we, totally yeah that's the big problem with this movie and it can't escape it yeah it's full of you know cute details that i can't tell if they're made up like he made the beanie baby smaller so they could fit in kids backpacks like because that kid wanted it that way you know like it just it feels more like convoluted movie writing stuff than actual things that happen but uh yeah it's not a bad like if you've never if you weren't alive then and you want to know what the beanie baby situation was like this movie does an okay job of 
like telling you what the pandemonium was about, but I don't know. It's a little too staid and TV movie and just, I don't know. It didn't do a lot for me, but I agree. The performances are good. Uh, two stars for me. Oh, slightly more generous. Two and a half. Like ah, uh, synchronicity broken. There it is. It's ruined. But now uh, the one thing we didn't mention, it's like, I think the Barbie Heimer thing is all a cover up mm. because what the real story is, is Barbie Beanie Heimer. Yeah, Barbie Bean and Bar- Barbie Beanie Heimer. Everyone, everyone's got to do Barbie Beanie Heimer. Let's you get that hashtag Barbie, going. You go home, you watch the Beanie Bubble, and then you go see Oppenheimer the next day. Be reasonable. I think pe- asking people to do this five-hour double feature, which I've done min- a million times and will do again, well, yeah. it's a little taxing. I think you should. Just, I saw them on separate days, and I'm glad. I'm glad I did. So I, I, I endorse Mark's Barbie Bean and Bean and. Barney, <laughs> Barbie Beanieheimer. Barbie Beanie Heimer. It's a perfect tongue twister of anything. Barbie Beanie Heimer. Hashtag Barbie Beanie Heimer. I want to see it on YouTube. I want to see it on Twitter. Get that going. Barbie first. Beanie. You watch Beanie when you go to bed because if you fall asleep and you miss it, it's fine. And then you go to Oppenheimer. All right. Now let's talk about a movie that it does not factor into these plans. It's called Fear the Night. I think Mark also liked it slightly more than me, but I think we both also are a little on it. But it's a new Neil joint starring Maggie Q. It's a home invasion thriller minus the thrills. Here's Fear the Night. Hey, cutie. You looking for something special? You should take that cap off if you didn't serve. I served. Where were you medevaced from? Fallujah. That's in Iraq for you boys. You think you're tough, huh? I mean, not tough enough, I guess. Why don't we find out how tough? I just, I gotta get to a party, so maybe another time. It's a bachelorette party. I love it here. Great vibe. Hey, do we even know who the caretakers are anymore? I think these guys have been here for a while now. Something strange about those guys. They're suspicious. Maybe you should relax. Don't want to ruin any of the of the cool kills in this weird movie. Um, I wish I got into this because it sounds like it's right up my alley. It's a horror movie. It's like a cabin in the woods type of thing. It's a bachelorette party gone wrong, home invasion, survive the night situation, and it's got the classic Neil Labute trademark CC or C circle copyright, whatever you want to call it. It's got the Neil Labute gender dynamics going on even through that genre premise but it was so underwhelming and underbaked for me uh walk me through this movie mark what did you think yeah so group of friends and also maggie q's character who's you know related to you know she's got two sisters who have friends having the younger sister's bachelorette party and she's just ostracized from them she's going along because younger sister and her get along anyway whatever there's a lot of setup to this which is, it feels like Labute kind of, you know, Labute has a history as a filmmaker, um, yes. kind of um, not showing women in the best light all the time and not really focusing on them. And this feels like a direct response to that, yes. which makes it inherently interesting for me as someone who has admired Labute's work in the past, not so yes. much his recent stuff. And, you know, I like Justin Long one. Yeah. 
Yeah, you did. And I thought that one was okay, too, because that was like the same thing, like fun little twist on gender dynamics that just happens to be about vampires, was it? Yeah. I think it was a whatever. stealth Dracula movie. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, oh, yeah. Wait, that was. It was a stealth Dracula movie. It was specifically Dracula. The second, anyway. The second stealth Dracula movie of the year after The Invitation. That's right. Oh, boy. Fun, weird fun <laughs> anyway. movie facts, you know, when you watch every movie every week. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I found I found it just interesting, like Labute almost making a direct response to criticism of his, criticisms of his work from the past and just making it an entirely woman focused movie. Women who are going to go up against the worst men imaginable. These are guys who would fit in perfectly when Barbie shows up in the real world in L.A. Um, they're, they're just right there. Now, that would be an interesting movie if Barbie ends up in a, <laughs> you know, a home, home invasion inv- situation. Home invasion against, thriller? Yeah. Against the worst men imaginable. Who knows? Um, now, yeah, that's I, subversive. I, I, that would definitely be. I don't know. Yeah, I'm torn on this one because I think I think Maggie Q is is good um yes agree in this kind of role specifically agree. in this kind of role she's very good um but yeah it's just at a certain point you're just thinking okay home invasion against one character who knows what they're doing and the rest of the characters don't have a clue what to do and then despite all the focus on the women eventually you start to realize oh most of these women are going to get killed off or separated in some way and not reveal anything about their characters beyond the fact that they're women standing up for themselves are being attacked by men. I guess we have another beanie bubble problem where it's like, no, this movie is about women. It's like, well, yeah, but it's mainly about them and how the men influence their lives, I guess. Yeah. Um, as a thriller, it's, it's, I think it's serviceable. I don't um, know, man. I think this thing notably lacks tension. There's like nothing here that like, that like got me going on like the this is a horror thriller level like it just never clicked with me on that level i i was more engaged with the gender idea and the fact that like the whole idea that it seems to start with is every man she sees is a threat right like she's on edge mm-hmm. all the time and it just doesn't explore that in any really meaningful way and the explanation is stuff doesn't really do anything for me it ends up having like an like an arbogast style psycho explanation at the end i feel like i don't know man it's a movie that has a lot of threat of rape and violence as you said it's a movie that's supposed to be about women but it's really like about putting them in a situation where they might be raped or killed (laughs) so it's hard for me to take it seriously on that level but yeah it's a movie that like barbie is about how it's a man's world and these ladies are just living in it. Um, like there's, a, you know, the subtle moment when the the cop says it's her daddy's house. And she says, actually, it's my mother and father's place. Like subtle, subtle writing to say it's a man's world. But the movie, the rest of the movie is less subtle writing about how it's a man's world. And I didn't find her backstory or like the explanation for why they're there. None of it was. In, it's all very perfunctory. And like, if you want a movie that's like this that satisfies as like a gory good time. Like, I feel like this is just, if you take the gender dynamics away, it's Becky. And if you make it a small child, it is Becky fighting Nazis. The wrath of Becky just came out recently. I enjoyed that. I did not enjoy this, but um, is there anything else you want to say about it? No, not really. I mean, like I said, it's, you know, for me, I was fascinated by this within 
Labute's filmography. Um, and um, I, again, as a thriller, somewhat serviceable, um, even if the entire setup with the whole gender dynamic thing is questionable. So yeah. I'm very much on the I, fence about it. I was impressed with the um, stripper slash chef that they got for the bachelorette party. What a great two for one deal that must have been <laughs> to get that guy. He can do it all. Um, yeah, I just didn't find it very convincing. Um, I feel like at one point I just was like, so is the whole gag here that they're like a home invasion is taking place while there's like, you know, bachelorette party accoutrement around like a same penis forever sign, like penis lollipops or whatever the fuck they have. Like, it just seems like the whole gag is like, isn't it funny if there were bow and arrow deaths happening in this environment? And that's our thing. The deaths are all like boring bow and arrow deaths. I'm just, it just feels like cheap, uninteresting, a cheap, uninteresting thriller that needed to say something if it's going to be that cheap and lazy. And I don't think it really ended up saying much about it's a man's world. It just kept telling me that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't get two stars. Oh, okay. A little bit more generous than I thought. Two and a half again. Yeah, so. maybe I am being more generous than I probably should be. I just kind of said it. Maybe it's one and a half. Who cares? It's all arbitrary. You can read on markreviewsmovies.com. There's like an FAQ section. And Mark gets into it about the arbitrary... What do you call it? The arbitrary star rating system? Irrelevant rating and stars. There I, you have go. A, I need to trademark that eventually. Yes. You got to go read it and you can figure out what our ratings actually mean. I was telling my wife how I was having all my complaints about Barbie when I came home. And I'm like, yeah, I liked it. It was a three out of four. She goes, but you just said all these things. I'm like, babe, a three out of four means so much. It goes, it goes, it could be my favorite. Like it could mean, it, it could mean so much. And uh, so can two stars. Fear of the night. Two stars. Yeah. Um, that's it. We did six movies this week in under 90 minutes. And uh, I think it's time for a little band called Alien Ant Farm. Show starts in one...
Gaden Shut up. Ush.